Welcome to the City Edge Church podcast. For more information, please visit our website at cityedgechurch.org.au. We hope that you enjoy this message. Really um, honoured to be up here tonight. I mean it. Really honoured to have such great senior pastors. Hey, and pastors Paul and Kate Bartolo. Church, I can't say enough how much they love you guys and, and how much they love this city and how much we are so blessed to be underneath their leadership. So in this moment, we'd be able to just honour our senior pastors. Thank you so much, Pastor Paul. And to Pastor Kate, they're amazing. We love you guys, and we're so blessed to have you. Right now, church, before I begin, I just want to pray, because I believe this is, um, it's a, well, it's a good thing to do. All right. <laughs> so if you close your eyes and bow your heads, that'd be great. Father God, I just thank you right now, Lord. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you be here in this room, God. Father, would you speak through me, God? And Lord, I pray that hearts be open, God, and would you speak to every heart tonight? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, well, as you may already know, right, this month we, we at City Edge have been looking into the book of Philippians. And man, there, like Pastor Paul has just said before, uh, he half stole my message, but there has been some incredible Incredible messages over the past couple of weeks, hey. There's been some incredible preachers and, and even teachings. I really encourage you as well to go on the podcast, have a listen, because there's some great applications and some great pointers that you can grab out of there to help draw you closer to Christ. Because who here wants to be more like Christ, right? We all want to be. That's our sole desire, is to be more like Jesus. And some of these messages have had some great application points for you to do that. So the past two weeks, we have looked at the first two chapters, but tonight we're going to be jumping into chapter three. And I'm only going to be reading from a certain passage in Philippians chapter three, but I want to encourage every person here that to not let like, as we're diving into the Bible, to not let it just be a Sunday that we open up our word or or at Life Group or or at Empire or, or wherever, but that it be something you do every day. That opening the Bible and reading it is something that, that is like, it's like looking at your phone, like, like seeing, checking if you got any messages overnight. Like it's just something that you do naturally, you know, and because there's something we at City Edge really want to encourage in this series that we be opening your word, opening it, however it may be. Maybe you like um, reading the word with somebody else. I encourage you, read it, read it with your spouse, read it with a friend, read it with your brother or sister. Hey, maybe you're a parent here, read it with your kids. I really encourage that because I know, like for parents out there, like I'm not a parent, but I know what it's like to be a son of a parent who read to me the Word of God. And I'm telling you one thing, my dad used to read me the Bible every, um, well, not, maybe not every night, but he used to read on, on some nights and it really spoke to me. You know, the kid's Bible too. It doesn't have to be like the New King James, amen. But, but you know, it was a kid's Bible, but he used to read me Bible stories. And you know, those stories I remember today. There was a power in that when my dad would, would declare the Scripture over my life. Because who knows that God will speak through His written Word. If you want God to speak to your kids, you read them the Word of God. So I just want to encourage you tonight to all the parents out there with that. So tonight we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. And here we see that Paul in the beginning verses of this chapter was, was just giving the people of Philippi a warning, right? He's giving them a warning in the first eight verses because their teachers of the law are coming. 
teachers of the law are coming and they're still practicing the old traditions, which Paul's saying, no, we're no longer a part of that anymore. And he's trying to say, don't give in to them. Don't give in to them. And the reason he's doing this is because he's trying to help the Christians of Philippi understand that it's not by the works of the law by which they are saved, in which these teachers were really trying to encourage, but by faith alone in Jesus Christ. He was really trying to encourage that here. And he goes on to say how he kept the law. He's like, and don't be a part of it because, hey, I used to do it all. I was all about it. I did everything right by it. It wasn't a thing wrong that I did, yet nothing that he did even measures to the righteousness that Christ now gives us believers through faith in, his, in Jesus Christ. So let's open our Bibles, if you got them, to Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. Well, the scripture will be on the screen if you don't have one. And we're reading from the ESV, the extra saved version. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> the English standard version, all right? All right, it goes like this. It says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. My first point tonight, church, is this, is Christ needs to be our center. See, have you ever had something taken away from you at all? Maybe it might be a game as a kid. You're like into the game. Your parents are like, ah, get off that thing. You know, I'm like, you know, you're like, you're like, they take the game off you. Maybe it's been an object of some sort. Like, I can't have that now. You know, or, or like the lollies. Like, I know as a kid, like, there's like all the food and the kids, lollies, like straight to it. Eh? And you're like, no, <laughs> this way. <laughs> Get a plate first. Um, yeah, or sadly, maybe it, it's, it's been your job. Maybe you've lost your job in the past. Or sadly enough, it could even have been maybe a family member or a close friend of yours, something that may have been taken away. And the question that poses us here is that when something that is close to us is taken away, what do we turn to or who do we turn to? See, I love in this passage the Apostle Paul, who had the high status of this day. He knew the law off by heart, and he worked out the law in his life as well. States here that he counts all of that as loss for the sake of just knowing Christ Jesus. He said, man, I'd throw all that out for the sake of me now just knowing Christ, to be found in Him. And I think that's beautiful. But I really think that this scripture is a challenge for all of us actually here tonight. That if we were to lose everything, right? Every, everything maybe we've ever known, we'll ever had in our lives, every possession, every friend, what would we have? Like, let's just think about this. What would we have? Would your answer be Christ? Or would your answer be nothing at all? Now, please understand here what I'm, what I'm actually not saying. I'm not saying it's bad to have possessions, all right? Because I totally don't believe that. I think wholeheartedly that God wants to bless you with many things, right? I think it's great. I think like if you got a nice car or a nice house, that's awesome. That's fantastic. God loves to bless you. Look at, look at David and Solomon's temple and everything. God wants to bless His people. I also believe that it's great to have so many friends. Actually, I believe we need to have friends, right? It says in Proverbs chapter uh, 27, verse 17, that, um, that iron sharpens iron. And that's, that's what friends are like for each other. Man, praise God for good friends. 
And it's not, and it's not obviously not bad to have a job either. Man, if anything, I encourage you, get a job. Like, <laughs> get a job, please. But, you know, go work hard in it. Live out the gospel and what you're called to do. Live it out in where you're supposed to be and where God's calling you in your life, church. That's all part of living out the gospel and what Christ has done for us and leading us in that way. But church, hear me tonight in saying those things, they aren't bad, but we can't afford our identity to be wrapped around them though. It needs to be centered on Christ. Because when those things are taken away, we need to be found in Him. See church, where does our identity lie in? Does it lie in your job? That oh, if I just work hard, if I work hard, if I make earns meet, my mum and dad will now be proud of me now. They'll finally accept me. Or if I, if I do this, I can prove to my wife that I'm worth it, or prove to my husband that I'm worth, for, worth it for him. You know, is it, is, it maybe, is it maybe in something that like, if I just go to church, God will now love me now. If I do this, you know, where does your identity lie? Does it lie in another person? If I just have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, I'll now be satisfied. Does it lie in that? Or does it lie in that now I'm found in Christ and no matter what, God still loves me and He, cho- and he chose me. He loves me before the world even began. You know, because that's what the Scripture tells us. The Scripture tells us you were loved. He formed you, needed you in your mother's womb. He loved you right then and there. You know, we are now found in Christ. It's not by our works and our measures that we get, our, that we get love from God. God already loved us. And from that love, we now outwork, outwork it and we do these things because He first loved us. See, church, is our identity found in occupation, works, or even another person, or is it found in Christ? That's another question for us tonight. Now, there are many points that, that we can pick out of these scriptures. There's so many points that we can take from, but here's my second point. I can only, I'm only picking two tonight, and my second one is this. And what I believe the Apostle Paul is trying to teach us here is that we, that we are saved through faith alone in Christ. See, verse 9 says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You know, we could have everything in the world, church. We could even have all the statues of Jesus. We could have all the necklaces of the cross, do everything that makes us look like a good person. But according to the Bible here, if we don't have faith, then that all really means nothing. It's like, you know, I love it. It's like having an incredible car, right? It's like having a lovely, nice, metallic painted car with leather seats with, you know, you've got a little screen there. You can watch whatever TV show you want. You can watch, you know, all your sporting teams or whatever. you got, you got food 24-7 that comes out. You press the button. Beep. The sandwich, you know, you got something that comes out, like nice red wine or something, whatever you, whatever you fancy, you know. All that's good and well, it's the most comfortable, most relaxing, most livable car ever. But if you don't have a battery in it, it's all worth nothing. Like, if you don't have a battery in it, nothing works. It doesn't come together. You know, it's all for nothing. Or some of them, what about fuel? Yeah, well, if you don't have fuel in it, it doesn't work either. And the same with our lives. See, we can do all the works possible. We can be at church every Sunday. We can pay our tithes. We can raise our family. We can give our children a good education. And though, and please understand, all those things are great. And please keep doing them. Do not get me wrong here. Please keep doing and living that life. But all those things are great and, and all that. But according to the Bible, it won't really inherit you Christ's righteousness. Or in other words, those things won't give you salvation. Only faith in Christ can. 
you might be like, but God, I go to church every Sunday. And that's great. And I believe God would be like, awesome, but you need to have faith in me first. And then you'll do greater things when, that, when it's off faith. But see, church, I believe that's not something to be sorrowful about either, but to take joy in. And I believe that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to bring across here. That, in his, that his joy is not found in his merits or what he owns or what he even knows, but his joy is found in his faith in Christ and in Christ alone. And that now his joy is unshakable because he had those things, but they were shaken. But now his joy is in Christ. His joy is in someone who's eternal, someone who lives forever, someone who never ceases to satisfy. His joy is found in Christ. You see, church, we can never rely on anything else to receive our joy but in Christ. If you turn on the television all the time, really, even if you're watching like, like I'm a massive sporting fanatic, you're watching sport, little ads are coming up. You need this to be satisfied. You, if you buy this, you will be happy. You need this. You're nothing without this. Like, and they had that. Or oh, here's a $10,000 trip to Asia. You go there, you'll be fulfilled. Now, I'm saying what? If you can do that, go for it, please. I'd love to go to Asia and do this. But it's saying you will receive your fulfillment. Go on this boat with plenty of beautiful lights like a Christmas tree. You know, you will be satisfied. And you know what? Those things are great. Like, go on a, go on a trip. It'd be awesome. But they will not fulfill. Because when you come back from your great three-week holiday, you're left with the same stuff here. It's like, it's all over. Only a true faith in Jesus to let His Spirit enter your heart can give you a joy for eternity. So my two points tonight are that Jesus needs to be center of our lives and that we are saved through faith in Christ alone. But I want to finish on an event in history that happened, um, that sort of sorry, um, sorts out what I'm, what I'm trying to say here uh, with being saved by faith alone. And this event happened 2,000 years ago and it actually happened when Jesus died on the cross. And it was some of Jesus' last words that, that are recorded that, that, that he spoke. And on that cross beside him were two men. They were two criminals. They were not good men. Jesus was the only man on that cross that shouldn't have been there. Like that was per- perfectly righteous. They'd done nothing wrong, right? These other two men, they, they were either murderers or, or, or liars or thieves or something like that. And they were up there by the law for a good reason. And, whilst, and they both had two choices as well. Whilst one man decided to mock Jesus, the other man decided to acknowledge him as Lord of his life. And the man who acknowledged Jesus says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus' words back were not, oh, but you did all this in your life. Oh, but you, you were a sinner. Oh, but this and that and blah, blah, blah. But Jesus actually said to him today, Surely I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Right. See, I love that. It just took a little bit of this man's faith to completely transform his heart. See, God doesn't look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the inward. He looks at your heart. And my question to you tonight is, where's your heart at? See, you can be here in this building, but God's not really looking at that. He's looking at your heart. You see, church, don't let anyone tell you that it's, that it's by works is how you inherit your salvation. See, I love that this is what Christ, makes Christianity so different to the rest of religion, is that it's not about us climbing this magical ladder to get to God, but it's about God 
coming down to, to see us and to come down to us and to, and to meet us where we're at in our mess, in our brokenness, and to restore us, to then raise us up by His power to be with Him. And I love that. And this is the gospel message. And don't get me wrong. Yes, works are a fruit of faith. Do not get me wrong, they are a fruit. If you have faith, you will do good works, but it's only through faith in Christ that we can be saved, that we can have joy, and that we can live a life to a full, to the fullness of what He has called us to live. A quick question before I pray and finish up tonight, church. Are you receiving, are you, sorry, let me start again. Are you working to receive God's grace, or are you outworking from a heart that has already received it? Let us pray. Father God, I want to thank you right now, God, for every person that's here, God. I just pray, God, right now that each and every person in this moment, God, will put their faith in you alone, God. Lord, that the rest of the world will, 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 will just um, like fade away in our minds right now, God, and we'll have our eyes focused on you, God, on you for our lives, on you for where you're taking us, God and on you for where you want us right now, Father. I just pray your hand be upon every person here, and you guide us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Amen. So good, mate. Thanks, Pastor. Awesome. Wow. What a great word. Hey, could we just really put our hands together for Mark Nusifora? What a great word. And while we're clapping, let's just stand to our feet, because we want to honour uh, James Allen as he comes to share the word tonight as well. Hit it, James. Awesome. Very good. Thank you. Look, Mark, uh, incredible work. Thank you so much. Um, you know, often when you do these tag preachers, it's kind of like the first guy has to kind of take, take the plane off, and now I've got to somehow land it. But um, thank you so much for a great liftoff. Um, look, I just got a couple of things. Um, our worship team sings a song, and I don't think it's a legitimate, like it's been published or anything, but it's the Jesus Only You Can Make Set My Heart On Fire. And um, I don't know who wrote that or whatever, but... I genuinely believe, as, as we were singing in worship, that it's something prophetic for this generation. We live in a generation where we struggle to find wonder in everything. We struggle to find awe. We, we can look across nature and be like, nah, yeah, that's cool. I can see it on my Instagram. But I totally believe that our generation needs a, a fix of wonder in their life again. I totally believe that only Jesus can set hearts on fire, inspire people, can drive people to go, no, 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 I know that this is hard. I know that studying is hard. I know that working is hard, but I'm going to do it to fulfill what God has done. And so I want to share with that. And then finally, Taylor McMillan, um, seeing you on the drums, mate. Holy moly. Um, you know, like, I know Taylor loves his music, and I know how much that means to you, mate. Um, and I just fully, I know that you serve like literally every Sunday, but feel that this is a new time for you. This is a new season that God is just going to do something fruitful. And um, so that's awesome. Anyway, uh, I'll, um, the Holy Spirit's finished. Um, joking. But let me get this off. Um, just the wire. Don't worry, guys. Um, but... Sorry, the microphone was just far enough for that to not be heard. Um, but what I love about Mark unpacking this is, um, is Philippians 3, as we open it up, is really the story of every Christian. It's broken up into three categories in which we find salvation, which, and then we find kind of this journey of life, and then we kind of have an eternal destiny. And Mark has really talked about this kind of salvation moment. 
And the great thing is, is that the beginning of Philippians 3 is, in a sense, my story. It's, in a sense, every believer's story that we didn't receive this by just rocking up at church. We didn't receive this because we were good people. But we just got it, and Jesus said, yep, you, let's do this thing, and pulls us out of our mess, and it's awesome. And so I just think that's incredible, because my journey started off in a bedroom when I was alone, and Jesus met me. And I'd been in a Christian school, and I'd been going to a youth ministry. But who knows, you can be around Christians, but until you seek it out for yourself, you will never meet what everyone is talking about. You will never find it. I'm sorry. And so we're, we're, you're going to have an opportunity to, uh, to accept that response uh, later on the message. But I want to continue uh, looking at the next two stages of Philippians, the kind of journey that we're in. Because the Christian faith, unfortunately, is not you get saved and then you get beamed up like something on a sci-fi movie. But in fact, we kind of have to keep doing this life. We have to keep rolling out of bed in the morning and going, all right, let's do this thing. And then we kind of have to be hopeful that this isn't all there is in the world. And what's amazing is, is well, in our culture, we've got two, two things that will, can potentially ruin everything. We've got distractions. Let me point to one. The thing that rings, that bings, that tings, that dings. There's a rap in there somewhere. Please, someone record this. <laughs> at you and screams at you saying, talk to me, give me your attention. It is literally a pocket toddler. <laughs> and we also have decisions. Decisions are hard. Okay, let's prove this. Uh, you know, you get asked, um, teenagers, I'm talking to you, like every adult, what do you want to do when you're older? Or, or uni students, what are you going to do when you finish your degree? Yeah, I'm going to do lots of things that are going to be awesome. But the epitome to me is when you go out on a date and you sit in the car and go, so what do you feel like eating? Oh, I don't know. My incredible girlfriend, Sinead, knows this. We, we often, I pick her up and we sit in the car for five minutes and we'll just go, what are we doing? <laughs> I don't know. We've got like a few hours. So, um, but because there's so many decisions, we've got beach, we've got coffee, we've got food, decisions can throw us off course. And so what Paul is trying to do at the end, towards the end of Philippians 3 is say, do not get distracted. Do not think that maybe you've made the wrong decision. Do not try and drift away. I, um, let me find my notes. Um, I love what he says in uh, verse... 13, sorry, I've got so much going on over here. In verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12, it says, not that I have obtained all this. He's talking about righteousness, a relationship with Jesus, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, if you remember one thing tonight, remember this. Forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Firstly, the, Paul the Apostle is not the kind of guy who you think doesn't really know what he's doing. Like he's one of the most influential people in history. He's planning churches. He's meeting people. And yet he comes along and says, 
I haven't obtained all this. It's quite a deflating statement, really, when you think about it. Because to a degree, we all kind of go, yeah, I got this. I think I can handle this. And then Paul comes along, the holiest dude, second to Jesus. You know, he's got like a cape flowing in the background. And he says, I haven't obtained it. I'm like, are you kidding? But I want to obtain it. If you haven't, I haven't. But what's amazing is that this teaches us that the, that the Christian walk is not about an arrival, but about a journey that we take. And, and can, can we be honest? We love arrivals. We love to tick boxes. We love to say, yeah, I made it. We love to say, I climbed that mountain the other day. I did that thing. We don't want to say, I'm walking up the mountain, unless you're on an Insta story. And then you're literally just hot and sweaty and just, I'm climbing a mountain. Um, but if we can be real, three things happen when we realize that this thing is a journey. Three things can happen to the human heart. This is just my experience. We can either be frustrated and look elsewhere other goals and other achievements that might even be in the Christian circle to try and fulfill this. We might look at a platform or a preacher and say, if I could just be like them, then I will have it all together. Can I, can I say as a teenager, that was me? Hands down. If I could just be like that preacher, if I could just do that, then I would be okay. The second option is, is that we come along and we say, I give up. Too many Christians on this walk, on this journey, say, well, I can't arrive, so why should I keep going? Friends and family, genuinely, I can't arrive. Well, there is the third option, and that's remembering what Philippians 1.6, a life scripture for me, that says that he who began will bring to completion. And so here we see in the text these, this kind of dichotomy going on. And Paul is telling us to strain, which in our Western culture is like the worst thing ever because it's uncomfortable. It's discomfort. We hate straining. Why would I want to strain? You know when you reach for something? Crossfitters, I'm talking to you, or you work out, and, and that muscle just goes a little bit further than you expected it to. And, and you, for a second, you think it's dislocated. I know it. I've been there. But then he also, we're also meant to take rest in knowing that. And may I challenge you tonight and say, maybe the discomfort is God growing you on the journey. Maybe your discomfort is one next step. Another discomfort is one next step. The Christian life wasn't designed to be comfortable. I, um, a cool story. I was at schoolies a couple of years ago doing Red Frogs. Don't worry, I was doing a Red Frog. Yeah, I know, you look at me, you go, the beard, you? Yeah, okay. But I was on my night off, and um, there was a group of um, Christian guys who were just evangelizing out in the streets. They were praying for people. They were uh, prophesying. They were asking people to be healed. They saw literally people healed. Right in the middle of Cavill Ave, which for anyone is just like, without being judgmental, it's just a cesspit. Like, it's just people doing bad stuff. And my, I went out there and just was like, let's just join this evangelism crew and see what happens. Um, I've got a night off, let's do it. And my night was pretty mixed. I um, had like an awesome apologetic sort of conversation with someone where we talk about the evidence for the resurrection and, and just told her, you know, your Christian friend at work, you should ask them every question of the song because it's good for them. 
I had this other chick, which, oh, well, this dude I approached and started chatting to him, started talking about the gospel to him. And his girlfriend came along and thought I was asking for his number. I thought I was hitting on him. I've been in a lot of weird conversations about Jesus. That's, that's up there. That is definitely, like, I'm like, no, no. But then there was this other guy. And I just felt God, I, well, I was ready to go home. And I felt God say, stay here. Just stick around for a little bit longer. And God just, I felt God speak to me. He said, there's a guy over there in a group of friends. And he's got anxiety. I want you to go pray for him. And so, you know, it's Kabbalah. Anything can happen. So I walk over there and, um, and just introduce myself for the first time. Don't know him. And say, hey, mate, I genuinely think God loves you. And I think that you've got anxiety that you want praying for. And like every person, whether you're a Christian or not, let's, you kind of give the, you're crazy. And then he kind of said yes. Uh, and so he did. And nothing crazy happened, nothing wild. And then as I'm walking back, he taps me, I just feel this tap on the shoulder, and this, he grabs me and goes, dude, I just want to let you know that my whole family through my dad's line have had anxiety generation to generation. And through the schoolies week, I've been thinking about that a lot, and I just didn't want to fall into the kind of messes that they've fallen in. Who knew that out of discomfort, someone could find out God loved them? Who knew that uh, the reaching the goal was on the other side of my discomfort? And as we continue to look at this chapter, um, we see that Paul is explaining or kind of talking about this next step. So this kind of hope that we're meant to have. And, and the reason I've been thinking, uh, I was thinking about why we think about things like hinges. Why do we put hinge of hope on something? And that's because like on a door, when you've got a hinge, it's actually the pin in the middle that is the most important thing. And my question is, what is the pin in your hinge? What are you counting on? Because, can I just be honest with you? This whole religion deal, we're all betting on a horse. Genuinely. Your chips have got a place on somewhere. You've got to say, I think this thing is true and it's going to get me through. That's what it is. I don't care if you're atheist, agnostic, whatever. You are counting on something being true. And so Paul is pleading with the people saying, do not put your hope or trust in anything else, but only in Jesus. Um, he says this really brutal thing, and I, I want us to take it easy as we talk about this. But verse 18, it says, for as I have told you now before, and as, for as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in a, in a world where we get offended way too quickly, this is a warning, and therefore an act of grace and an act of mercy. Just as a loving mum will tell her toddler not to put the hand on the stove because it will burn and it will hurt, so Paul is writing with us and saying, if you do this thing, it's going to do bad things to you. And this, this is gracious. This is, this is an act of grace that we hear this. But verse 20 continues. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ 
who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul divides people into two different groups. He says those that are worshiping their stomach and the pleasures of of now and today and those who are worshiping Jesus. And the reason that he divides the two is because you literally can't have both. A lot of story, including mine, was when I started following Jesus, he started asking me to put some things aside, to let go of some things. Why? Because, you know, you start following Jesus and then he says to you, pick up your cross and follow me. Like, pick up your execution piece and follow me. I think of it like this. You can't carry a cross and a full stomach. It doesn't work. You cannot worship stomach and and things that are temporary and look to things that are eternal. It just doesn't work. And so for the Christian then who claims to be a citizen or a member of the new kingdom, it's something that that cannot be given by this earth. Although we see glimmers of it now through our miracles, through people, through stories of God's grace, we wait for his return. Um, Earlier this year, I uh, got to chat with a, a really awesome dude who's um, part of Open Doors Ministry. They, they basically reach out to persecuted Christians across um, a lot of war-torn areas. And um, I basically, uh, I did, I'm a journalism student, so I'm allowed to ask this, but basically went, what's the like craziest story you've heard? And he said, well, there was this farmer, and he was basically just living life with his family, and he, they basically sounded the alarm and said that there's going to be these fundamentalists in Syria that are going to come and basically invade the town, and you just need to get out. There's nothing we can really do. And, um, and, and as he says, he fled, and um, as he's, this farmer's run away, a couple of days later, he gets a message from his neighbor who basically says, I've taken all your things. You're never getting them back. They're mine now. They're my property. A neighbor, a guy who used to be his friend. But the most bizarre thing is that this farmer says, he says, I thank God for those fundamentalists. He says, I thank God for my neighbor because I used to only need Jesus on a Sunday. I used to only need Jesus on a Sunday. But now I... He's the only thing I have. They have made Jesus the only thing I have. How powerful is that? That we might set our minds so heavily looking to the hope that is before us. That we might be inspired by Jesus. This is the already but the not yet. We already see glimmers of it and yet we're not quite there. I love... um. I've been thinking about this for a little while this week, and the lyrics uh, through Amazing Grace, one of the incredible, uh, most influential songs. I'm a big hymns guy, um, but I'll leave that to myself, keep that to myself. Um, but I love the lyrics that are just right in the middle of a verse. It says, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. Twas grace that brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. See those two bottom lines? We live in between those. Grace has brought me safe thus far. But grace will lead me home.